hello and welcome to The Thin Blue Mind. Each week we will be looking at current policing issues and topics within the UK. Our regular panel consists of Steve Bradshaw, who is a TV and theatre actor, Richard Horton, author, and me, Dave Thomas, broadcaster. What we all have in common is over 80 years of combined police service. Now retired, we will be providing opinion and insights from the unique position of having been there and done it. Steve spent the majority of his service on firearms before being promoted to inspector, where he was a force incident manager. Richard was a career detective before going back into uniform as a response sergeant. Myself, I spent the majority of my service on the Rhodes Policing Unit before going into CID and child protection. You may not agree with everything we say, but we will make you think. The Thin Blue Mind with Bradshaw, Horton and Thomas. Policing insights and opinion. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Thin Blue Mind. In this episode, we're going to be discussing prison. Does it need reforming? And what are its purposes and aims, I suppose? I mean, most countries in the world now have have had prisons probably from the year dot. And um, I suppose you could argue the main purpose of prison is is deterrent. Uh, Richard, I know you've had some interesting thoughts on this. Well, I I came down to thinking that prison for me was was about three things my view is this perhaps a little bit about rehabilitation people get better for being in prison if that was true i think we'd be spending more on rehabilitation uh, i think prison is possibly a little bit more potentially about retribution it's a punishment uh, and that being said if it was a punishment uh, and meant to be a punishment conditions in prison might perhaps be um, more regimented and harsher than they are what i always came down to thinking about prison was that it was about containment for most offences, where sort of acquisitive crime offences, burglaries and persistent thefts. And it's about giving the rest of us a break from you in society. It's about putting you out of circulation for a bit. And in the, the vague hope that perhaps there'll be some rehabilitation goes on, that perhaps the punishment aspect will make you learn your lesson, which doesn't seem to happen. The recidivism rates, the reconviction rates are still um, horrible out of prison. Personally, I'd be happy if prison was more about rehabilitation. I'd be happy if prison was was more about whatever's causing you to end up down the custody track of, for all but the most serious offences, you have to work bloody hard to get yourself in prison, I would suggest. You have any number of non-custodial options offered to you before you um, have to go down the steps. I'd like to think there was more in the way of rehabilitation. I'm not that bothered about the punishment aspect of it. I can see there's an aspect of putting you out of the way of the rest of us for a while. But really, for me, prison should be about rehabilitation. So in a sense, what you're saying is that prison has kind of become a, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. It's trying it's trying to do all things and, and not really meeting uh, its purpose. I think it may be trying to, but always for this, look, look at where the funding is. Is there funding going on to enable people to be rehabilitated as well as a prison can do it? No, there isn't. And if you want an example of that people that are on these indefinite sentences for public protection at the moment. And what they're missing, perhaps, before they can get out for a parole hearing or whatever, is a particular course or a particular um, series of of, of, courses in their life. And they're not available. They're not getting on the courses. So there's a problem now with people on IPP sentences, uh, a real problem, not being able to be released because they haven't gone through the courses they're meant to have gone through because the courses aren't available. Well, so much for rehabilitation. I think, yeah, you have a point about rehabilitation in my point of view, but 
Uh, prison's not a youth centre. Prison's not a, a, a YTS, and it's not a scheme where you can uh, go and, and better yourself. I agree with your first point. What's the primary role of prisons? And that's going to be to keep people away from the general population. I get it that some people have taken a wrong turn in life and they need to be given an opportunity and a bit of training and better your life. And also the fact that people go in for a lesser offence and then get to meet some quite hardened criminals inside then come out and, and become a recidivist and become a more hardened criminal because they make the connections. I get all that. I understand all that. And I understand the need for rehabilitation at the lower end, the people who we can catch. But we need to accept that there's just some people who just need to be locked up. And there, there's some people who just need to be uh, away from the population because primarily a civilised organisation, uh, civilised democracy needs to have a mechanism to keeping the public safe by locking up bad people. Well, that brings us on to the next question, doesn't it? Um, you know, I, I've read of stories of people not paying the council tax and have gone to jail. As you say, you've alluded to perhaps more serious offences that people haven't. And it brings us to the question, are the right people in jail? Well, they should be. To hit that point you mentioned there about should you pay a council tax? Yes, because we we live in that democracy where we need to have a combined effort to pay for the infrastructure. So yes, if you don't pay your council tax and you can, you're just being a bit of an arse about it. Yes, go to jail because you're because you're an idiot. Yeah, I agree with you there. But every action must have a consequence. But uh, you know, I was kind of alluding to the people that perhaps can't afford to, or or for whatever reason, and they the punishment is disproportionate to the. Uh, offence, if you will. And there's the argument about criminalising the poor, and I don't suggest that being poor is a criminal offence. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Do we have the right people in jail? We should have, and there should be a mix of the people who are getting the chance and people who just need to be locked up. I do think that we capture, and more, the people who need to be given a chance at the moment. So, yes, I do think the right people are in jail. Yeah, I think... As I said a, a few moments ago, these days, unless you've committed one of the big, you know, a, a murder, a manslaughter, rape, serious sexual, it's quite hard to get into jail, my, my, my impression is. You go to court and the courts are willing to bend over backwards to put you into some sort of non-custodial option. Those courses and bits and pieces are not hugely well-funded and not hugely effective, so, that, so it goes. If you've ended up in jail for something that's not one of the big bad offences there's probably a very good reason for it and usually it's multiple offending and you get people put into short sentences six and nine months which they're out at half time and and, and again what work can you do with somebody in in three months or four months when it's not even properly funded anyway it, it's just containment at that point containment and a bit of punishment part don't forget as well these schemes uh are the, should be there and are there and policing have had an eye on this for many, many, many years, even from when I was a probationer. I remember there being squads that intercepted people when they came out of prison. Yeah. That's where the scheme is, where it bursts fruit for me, is to the last few weeks of someone's sentence and saying, right, this is what we need to do about housing. This is what we need to do about getting some some benefits. This is what we need to do to try and give you the best start. Releasing somebody at the gates and the, and the door shutting behind them with a brown parcel under their arm and thinking, right, what now? You're just asking someone to go and commit crime. But there's a lot of personal choice. We shouldn't excuse people's dis bad decisions. 
people making a positive decision to commit crime against other people in this society, therefore that needs to be punished. And we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't look for reasons of saying, oh, well, there's an excuse here because society has failed people. Yeah, I get it a little bit, but there's a decision by someone to commit crime and there are consequences to that decision under whatever circumstance. There absolutely are, but there are predictions, or predict, decent predictors on reoffending rates. If you take somebody, as you say, the brown parcel prison gate release, yeah. and they're going back to the same community, yeah. the same area, the same friends, the same associations, yeah. the same temptations, the, the likelihood is that they will reoffend. The I've one, the only one I can think of in in a thirty year career that got right from from serious OCG type offending, made a conscious decision when he was released not to go back to his home area and to start a new life somewhere else with, with his girlfriend and the kid. And he went from being a real serious map nominal like police officers don't go to meet this guy on their own, to just dropping off the radar. And But that was a conscious decision and, and some self-knowledge that if I go back to where I was, I'll end up doing what I was doing. I've got to break all those connections and go somewhere else. And that's a hard thing to do. But And he didn't get much support in doing it, I mean, but right. he did it. Yeah, I mean, Steve, you're right. It is a choice, but... Um, it's not an easy choice, I would suggest. No, I'd agree, I'd agree it's not an easy choice at all, and it's a hard choice. But one of those good ways you can break from that criminal past is not to go back to where you were, with who you were with, and end up doing what you were doing again. Yeah, so give these people the option in the last few weeks of the sentence and when they're being released, say, we have an alternative for you. And give them that option of saying, we can we, not set you up. We don't have a house ready for you. But, you know, these are the forms you have to fill in. This is the application you need to do. This, you know, this is how you get a house house in the in the borough 20 miles away from, 30 miles away from where you grew up. This is the opportunity. Look, you're more likely to re-offend if you go back to that area of Preston where you and were you, in. And you know it. But Yeah, and you know it. So here's an option. Here's an, an, an alternate choice. We, we did used to do that. I remember when that was a thing that police involved themselves with and there was a wraparound approach, particularly around... Offender yes, wasn't it? Specifically around prolific offenders, people that would yeah. come back and you knew would be doing two or three burglaries a day, breaking into cars. You'd do that work around them. It was important. But you keep people, sa- you keep people safe by preventing that for the future victims. Yes, you which, do. Which I absolutely get, which, which, I su- which I fully, fully support. But once we've given that person that choice... And we say, listen, this is where you. This is an alternative, and they don't take it. Yes, that's not the state's fault, is it? No, there, there does come a point when sentencing has to sort of reflect behaviour, uh, and chances given and spurned. All we're going to hear is heavy breathing in the background. And Alfie, what are you doing? Come on. We've been joined by Alfie the pod dog, who pod has dog. Uh, come in to have a look. He's very happy with what we're doing by the look of things. What do you think, Alfie? Or he thinks we're going to play with him in the garden, one or the other. I remember um, there was an ex-police sergeant who um, set up a charity where they would buy properties and the people that they helped were ex-convicts. They would learn a skill in the building trade. They would do up these properties and then they would have a place to live which they could rent from, which I thought was a brilliant idea. At the first... Uh, and only uh, police TEDx event, which was over in Leeds some years ago, they, that team gave a presentation on what, what they'd done. I remember it. Yeah, over, over in Blackpool Way, was it? That's right. Yeah. Help for the homeless or something like something that. Like, yeah. So we're giving an apprenticeship to people who are coming out of prison. Is that what you're saying? Well, you're a giving lot- them a home and you're giving them a trade. Yeah, I get it, which is great, but 
are the same opportunities available to a standard 16, 18 year old who's got no qualifications, who, who's trying to make good in life? Is the parity with the chances? What I'm saying is, because you've been in prison and coming out of prison, I get, you know, we're trying to rehabilitate people, prevent future victims and all that. But is the parity with the decent group of uh, people of the same age? And the, there may not set? be. That, that's but, where it rubs. That, that, it, that's it, where it annoys people, it, I think. It may rub. I'm sure it does rub. In, in terms of that making society safer, better, smoother, do you get more bang for your buck in stopping a, a repeat prolific offender in the tracks and, and getting them back into some sort of productive member of society thing than you do from having your 16-year-old without qualifications not able to find an apprenticeship? I get what you're saying, and there is worth in it, but it, it just sticks in the throat to the honest, hardworking group of people who try and lead a, a good life, who might be poor, minimum wage, etc., who just don't get the same opportunities. And it sticks in the throat of good, honest people to say, and they will call it that the person, the, the, the criminal, the person who's coming out of prison is being, quote, rewarded for coming out of prison. And if you have some scheme that's set up and it's evaluated and it doesn't work, pull the plug, I would say. But if it does work, it reduces properly the reoffending rates. It gets people back into, into decent lives. For me, that's money worth spending because it's cheaper than prison, less corrosive to society than that person continuing their chaotic course through life. It must be better. But if you're getting people into some meaningless interventions that don't work, that don't change people's lives or, or you know, for the better... Pointless doing that, and I think we have some of those meaningless interventions now. The community payback stuff, I'm not convinced that that's got any particular great reward. And you talk about people coming out of court without a custodial sentence. There's a name for it. They call it a walkout. Yeah. I got a walkout. The, the tale of the judge at one of our Crown Courts retiring uh, and wanted to know what his nickname was amongst the, uh, the criminal defence fraternity, because they all know they've got a nickname. And he got told his nickname was walkout. And his little face apparently crumpled. He then came back afterwards, I believe, to do some sort of part-time judging and was notably savage in his sentencing after that. The, the whole idea, yeah, i got to walk out. So there is still some fear in prison, obviously, because people don't want to go to prison. They'd rather, get, they'd rather not go to prison than, 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 than get, you know, do some litter picking, which they'll ignore, and eventually it'll peter off into the sand because it always never, there seems to be no consequences for not complying with these community orders particularly. Well, we talked about this guy previously, didn't we? The, the sheriff in California. Sheriff Joe. Sheriff Arizona, Joe. Arizona, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, and some of the things he was getting a uh, prison population to do. There was chain gangs who were wearing jumpsuits in pink, who uh, were yeah. painting curbstones. I suppose anything to sort of uh, support the infrastructure. And I know that was suggested a few years ago in this country, and there was uh, uproar. You can imagine, yeah. But some of the things he did, he, he did minimum compliance, I think. You must have TV. Right, we can have religious programming. Two channels of religious programming. That, so there you go, complied. You know, you've got to provide clothing. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, it, you're not going to like wearing it, but it's clothing and it complies. And um, Food. Yeah, lunch is going to be bologna sandwiches. Yeah, because it's cheap and nutritious uh, and, and it complies. So he, he went down that route of prison's going to be a punishment. People are never going to want to come back to my prisons again because they're going to be bloody unpleasant. Uh, and that's the route he went down. And it was hugely popular with his electorate. 
people looked at, you know, the, the, the people that were electing him in as, as the sheriff looked on his work and generally, I think for quite a long time, voted him back in again because they liked what he was doing. Now, there's an amount to which that, that appeals to the vindictive side of the human nature. You, you like to see people that have done harm to you and yours or the society you live in suffering somewhat. I'm sure Sheriff Joe wasn't trying to rehabilitate people. He'd have said, oh, I'm going to make it so hard that they're going to want to go straight afterwards. But it's like that Scared Straight programme that was meant to be. Have you remember Scared Straight? They'd take young men into prisons and have them talk to, to convicts and convicts would say what a terrible place prison was and how terrible the criminal life was. And when the evaluation on that was done in the end, it made, them more, made the young men more likely to get themselves involved in criminality than those that had never gone down the Scared Straight course. They weren't Scared Straight. It glamorised or, you know, it encouraged to some extent some well-meaning but ridiculous appeal to, you know, if people knew how bad it was, they wouldn't do it. They know how bad it is. They still do it. Mm. Well, going back to the point you raised, Steve, about rehabilitation as almost seen as a reward, you know, when we we, we discussed, didn't we, the, the charity offering help and what about the, the 16 and 17-year-olds that, that don't get those opportunities but, are, you know, are on the straight and narrow. I mean... It brings us to the question of why do people commit crime? Wide range of motives. I mean, we, we know because we, we deal with motive as part of the criminal investigation or trying to establish motives. So people are doing it because um, they have a substance habit to support or because they're overwhelmed by their emotions at, at a particular moment in offences of violence or because they're wired up strangely in relation to sexual wants and likes and predilections. There's a whole range of motives and stuff. And you could spend... You know, the rest of the day talking about different motives people have for crime. It It is. Love, sex, money. (laughs) Status. Love, sex, money, status. How about that? Love, sex, money, status. That's not a bad starter. That's going to cover most bases, I think. Sounds like my autobiography, that. (laughs) Yeah, because people make a choice, don't they? And the lady going in or somebody, the parent going in and and stealing baby formula, that's a different argument. That's help, help, help infrastructure to help all the way all, all day long everyone else there is a positive choice isn't there you know what i mean uh, people the majority of people have the basic fundamentals of life catered for don't they and there comes a point where uh, you're not making that decision to save your own life or the family members life stuff it's about being comfortable isn't it people make a choice to better themselves by way of crime or to feed an addiction or the rage of jealousy and all that kind of stuff. There is a a choice to be made and a decision to be made. And in the brain, I don't care who you are, in your brain when you make that decision, there is, however big or small it might be, the consequences factor. And if I do this, what are the consequences of it? Is play has to be in everyone's brain in some shape or form to lesser or greater extent. And if we make that a big red flashing light, we are going to divert some of those people making that decision to commit crime. I think there's an element of magical thinking sometimes around consequences. I'll be the one who gets away with it. I'll be the one that doesn't get caught. I'm the one smarter than the system. Sometimes, yeah. That's ego then, isn't it? Yeah. But at at the sort of top-end OCG, um, the sort of people that are using the Encrero chat um, phones to, to communicate there must have been a feeling of impunity there the police will never break the encryption we've sailed on with this for years it's going to be fine we're not going to get caught this time we're going to keep making easy well keep making a lot of money and it's going to be all right 
a sort of suspension of belief, if mm. you will. Well, it's it's the one quality that trips every criminal up uh, is greed. You know, I, I've read stories or I, I know of incidents where an offender will have committed multiple crimes, the perfect crime almost, uh, and remained undetected. And then they just go, just one more. And, and that's the job that trips them up. And I think that's true for a lot of uh, criminals, isn't it? Yeah. And if you've made a lifestyle choice, so to speak, <laughs> around criminality, if you decided that you were going to live your life as a professional criminal, and Norman Stanley Fletcher, you are an habitual criminal. And, and down the steps you go. The criminal justice system, maybe sentencing you should, should reflect that. should reflect the extent to which you are an organised and professional criminal, yes. as opposed to somebody living a chaotic life with, with addiction issues, yeah. for example. Yeah, and you make a good point. You two are, are, are seasoned detectives, so you would have been in court many, many times for cases that you've been involved in. How many times have you two sat in court, heard a verdict and gone, oh, that's harsh? The the latter happened more than the former. Yeah. And I think when a harsh sentence is passed, I'm kind of surprised a little bit, which then kind of ties in with, the, with your latter point of our sentencing guidelines too weak. They are. I've sat in a sentencing for a serial rapist. Serial stranger rapist. I caught him and I got him to court. And I got him there with picked house on ID parades, um, fibre transfer, DNA, the whole the whole gobbins. So he pled guilty. So I'm sat there with the families of the victims at the sentencing. How many victims are we talking? Three. So three stranger rapes. Yep. So the listener now, if they could spend this a moment to think, right, what do they think this sentence is going to be? Bearing in mind, rape is a life sentence. Okay, so the listener now, you should have in your mind fixed how how much this sentence is going to be. Okay, and the judge, from memory, plugged in a figure of 21 years at the start of his calculations. And you can see the family next to me thinking, 21 years, that'll do, that's a, that's a good sentence. Because of your guilty plea, bear in mind that he's facing DNA, picked out on ID parades and fibre transfer from his clothing to the victim, from the victim to him. I must give you a one-third discount on your sentence. And you can see at that point, they're thinking, well, it's still like 14 years. It's not quite what we thought it would be. And you'll be eligible for parole at the halfway point of your sentence. So in less than two or three minutes, the families of those victims, who were all children, watch the sentence go from 21 years to something closer to five to seven. And the judge had no choice in that. That was sentencing guidelines that he had to give a discount for the early guilty plea in the face of overwhelming evidence. The Thin Blue Mind with Bradshaw, Horton and Thomas. Policing insights and opinion. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is in partnership with Policing TV, the leading policing media channel. So until the next time and the next podcast, take care.